What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, flamethrowers. Jessica here. The World Cup starts tomorrow, and we here at Burn It All Down could not be more excited. I highly suggest you listen to episode 109, which posted two days ago, to get you ready for it. But we also wanted to post our previews of the six groups of teams that will be playing in the World Cup during the first two weeks before anyone is cut. If you listen to the show every week, thank you. But also, this will be material you have heard. We previewed groups A, B, and C in episode 107 and groups D, E, and F in episode 108. For this hot take, here is the audio from each of those episodes, our previews of the groups all in one. Yet another way to get ready for the Women's World Cup. Enjoy. At Burn It All Down, we are so excited about the Women's World Cup. We're going to start this week with the first three, A, B, and C. And we have Amira starting off to give us a little bit of a rundown on Group A. Amira? (laughs) Happy to start. So Group A features host country France, along with Norway, Nigeria, and Korea. And I'm going to start today with Korea. Korea is certainly seen as the underdogs in this group. This is their third World Cup appearance. They came on the scene in 2003, and then they followed that up with 2015, so the last World Cup. It was the first time they'd reached the knockout stage. They made it to the round of 16 in 2015, and they notched their first ever World Cup victory with a 2-1 win over Spain that same year. So they are underdogs, but they are uh, every time they get to the World Cup, they're building on new successes and reaching new heights. They're known for the defensive style and their discipline. Although that's kind of what they're known for is their defense, the two players I did want to highlight for you all are both strikers, are both offensive players. First, Ji Soyun, who is definitely their key player to watch. She's the leading scorer for the Federation, and she also plays for Chelsea. You might be familiar with her there for her overseas play. She's not the only striker to keep your eye on when you're looking at Korea. You should also look out for Yeo Minji, who is a dominant striker. And actually back in 2010, Korea had this fairy tale Cinderella really awesome win at the U-17 Women's World Cup in Trinidad and Tobago. And she received both the Golden Boot and the Golden Globe back in 2010. Now, unfortunately, an injury took her out of the 2015 Women's World Cup. So she has yet to play at the major level with her national team. And so this is a kind of return for her. And she's very excited. She said, listen, I know the draw we got. I know the team that we're with, the teams we're facing. And I don't expect it to be easy. It will be tough, but anything is possible. Next, we turn to Nigeria, where the Super Falcons have long had a hold um, on the continent of Africa and the competition there. They won their ninth Women's Africa Cup 
this past year. Um, although it was a harder go this time, as I'm sure one of my co-hosts will preview when we get to South Africa, um, they really had to battle some up-and-coming teams. But if you remember that two years ago, the Super Falcons did a very public protest with support by many people in Nigeria on Twitter. People were trending, support our Super Falcons. A very public protest when following their seventh or eighth title, they were saying, hey, we're not getting paid. They were owed back payments. There was a kind of standoff discrepancy between the sports ministry and the um, local football federation that resulted in people not getting paid. There was certainly not payment being made to the Super Eagles, to the men's side. And so, as we know, women are usually going to suffer disproportionate amounts in terms of athletic allocation, and that was no different there. And so this very public protest resulted in a lot of kind of public shaming about the fact that the Super Falcons were really dominant and not getting compensation, not getting paid. There wasn't investment being put in them despite their successes. And so there has been efforts by their federation and the sports ministry to really kind of prepare repair that public perception. But it resulted in the team really not playing for a whole year and not having a coach for a year. So they appointed Thomas Den- Dennerby, um, who's a Swedish coach, back in 2018. So this is a kind of fresh squad. It's just back together after some turmoil. So it'll be very interesting to see what the Super Falcons bring to the World Cup this year. Now, as dominant as they have been in play in the Africa Cup, it's not really translated into a deep run at the Women's World Cup. So we'll see if this is the year they can really break in. They are led and known by their kind of scoring attack uh, and their speed, led, of course, by Aziat Oshola, who is a striker. She is a three-time African Player of the Year. Um, back in 2014, she played with the U-20 Women's in the Women's World Cup, where they were finalists, where she won the Golden Boot as well as the Golden Goal. So she is definitely a player to watch and keep your eyes on. And we'll see what this squad does. I know they have many supporters cheering for them, both in Nigeria and around the diaspora. Next up is Norway. Uh, Norway has been to every Women's World Cup. They won the 1995 World Cup, but since then um, have struggled to get back to the finals. Uh, In the last few World Cups, they've gotten as close as fourth place, but in 2015, they didn't get out of the round of 16. And that they're going to have a harder time this year because they're certainly missing the most high-profile, prolific player for the Norway national team, the one and only Ada Hergerberg. So Ada, if you remember, recent Ballon d'Or winner, um, plays for LO, just got a hat trick this week in the Champ League's final premier player who stopped playing for her national team in 2017. And she's never given straight up play-by-play reason. However, when she did stop playing, she expressed a disgruntlement in the compensation given to the men's side versus the women's side. In fact, she stopped playing for them in September of 2017, um, kind of loosely citing this disparity. And in October of 2017, the Federation announced that they were taking some compensation from the men's side to up compensation for the women's 
to bring it closer to 50-50. And although they say, oh, it's not a reaction to Ada, it seems to have been. It also didn't sway her. So she's not playing in the Women's World Cup for Norway. The Norwegian team has said, listen, we're focusing on the players we have here in front of us and Ada doesn't want to play for us, so we're not playing. And, you know, recently some of her contemporaries on the United States um, and other people across the globe were saying, once again, why isn't she playing? Heather O'Reilly tweeted, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but if Messi or Ronaldo opted not to play in a World Cup, the world would know why with clarity. And so um, what they're pointing to is the fact that she's never really specified, but she has given answers about what she sees as a lack of investment from the youth level on up in the girls and women's side of football in Norway. Um, And she said, quote, You know, I've been really honest with the national team representative that I feel like it's not it's not good enough. She later said, look, I've always respected men footballers for what they earn, but the gap is enormous um, and you need to give young women and girls the same opportunity. There are federations, there are clubs, there are men in high positions who have had the responsibilities to put put women in the right, right place. And I think I feel I know we have a long way to go. So it'll be interesting to watch this continue to play out. But in her absence, a lot of the leadership on the Norway squad falls to Marin Meldy, who's a defensive midfielder and doesn't bring the same scoring threat by, you know, by any means that Ada does, but certainly is the kind of defensive mind and controller on the pitch for Norway. So uh, she will shoulder a lot of the leadership and we'll see what Norway does. And lastly, that brings us to host nation France. So obviously they automatically qualified because they are the host nation. However, even without that, they're one of the top clubs in the world. This squad in particular is um, amplifying the growth of women's soccer in France, as noted by the fact that their coach, Corinne Descartes, just did a live announcement of the roster last week, which is the first time that they've ever had a live presser for the announcement of a women's world roster in France. The roster contained few surprises. Um, they have a dominant squad, mostly coming from the most one of the most dominant teams across sports across the world, the Olympic League. Hello, they are, if you don't know, look them up. They just won Champs League again yesterday. As I mentioned, Ada scored the hat trick, but on the French squad, they have seven, seven players from this dominant team, including their stars, Wendy Renard, Amadine Henri, and their star striker, Eugenie Lesamera. Who all are returning players, their experienced squad. They have nine returning players from 2015. So there's not really any surprises. There's a little bit of a dust up. Some people thought that they have a young striker and a top scorer, Marie Antoinette Catoso, who many thought would make the squad because she has a lot of experience and she's really good in league play. She's had some inconsistently on the national team appearances and her and Dekar had kind of kind of public tension when Dekar said, you know, she needs to get her priorities in order. She kind of questioned her focus publicly. And so she, uh, Marie Antoinette was left off the squad. The coach said, listen, she's enormous potential. She's still young now. She got her life ahead of her. We're going to have ex- amazing experiences in the year to come, but she was lacking something. So I made a hard choice. Um, so that's the one kind of thing that caused people to mm, pause a little bit. But generally, the roster is 
you know, stocked full of people. Now, this is a squad that has always been good, but not great. They've always been a threat, but never too threatening. They've never, you know, done better than quarterfinals. And they've always been one of the teams to watch for and never have seemed to break through. But perhaps this is the year that that changes. Um, Of course, with the men winning the the, the cup last summer, the football gods, the fever might be in the air, but also because this team is just on an amazing winning streak. They won nine of their last 10, um, including besting both the United States and Japan 3-1 within that time frame. Their only loss in their last 10 games has come at 1-0 defeat by Germany. Um, and more importantly, within those 10 games, they outscored opponents 32-4. to They've only conceded four goals in their last 10 games. And so, you know, perhaps this is the year, especially with Ada out, perhaps this is the year that they break through. And maybe the home soil, maybe home turf will help them do that. They're a quick team. They're a fast team. They have a lot of weapons. It'll be very interesting to see if perhaps this is the year they get it done. Thanks, Amira. That's exciting. Shireen, you want to catch us up on Group B? Yes, thanks, Bren. So Group B, we've got Germany, China, Spain, and South Africa. So I'm going to do a little rundown pretty quickly of each team and just sort of give you my personal insights because, of course, I will. First of all, FIFA rankings are total bullshit. And I give you this because not just because I defer to one of the most brilliant minds in football, Dr. Brenda Elsie, but because Germany is ranked two. Now, I know y'all are sitting there going, but they won the Women's World Cup in 2003 and 2007. Yes, but that's pretty much where that ends and that whole Sylvia and I, (laughs) it was a long time ago. And so I think it's it bears saying, don't get me wrong. There are some really fantastic players, notably Jennifer Marozan, who just won with Lyon yesterday. They also have Caroline Simon. The rest of their squad actually plays in the Bundesliga, the Femme League in Germany. And I think this is really important to see. A lot of people have said in in the Twitterverse, the soccer Twitterverse, that they're an up-and-coming team. And I'm sort of like, what do you mean up-and-coming? Like, Germany is actually a very interesting team in that their federation isn't the worst of the worst. I mean, I know we're not, the bar is not high for supporting women's football by federations, but they really haven't developed in the way that you think they should, considering their women's Football actually have development programs like Bayern Munich has a program for girls. And it's sort of like, okay, where are we? So, and I will forever miss Nadine Ingerer. And I'm just going to say that. So, we're going to go into China, which is actually ranked number 16. And China is really interesting. They were most notably known in the United States for being runners up in 99. And we don't hear enough about China. I think that their, I mean, their coaching is, is by Jia, Jia Kwan. And they most recently won the Four Nations Cup. Which is not a huge tournament, but in you know, considering there's not a lot of teams that participate in international tournaments like this pre World Cup, it's pretty notable. One of their most famous players and the only one of their squad that plays outside of China is Wang Shuang, who is plays for Paris Saint Germain in, in in France. She's the first Chinese player to ever score in a Champs League, so that's pretty that's pretty notable. I think that there's a, for me, I'm very excited. I think it's one of the matches I'm hoping to actually catch while I'm there, and I want to see them play. They're tactically very strong. They're like not like the Nadashenko, but they're tactically there's a lot a lot. Their ball can 
control, tactical plane is a big part of the way China moves. And it'll be really interesting to see that. That's why this group is so interesting, because it's very different styles of play throughout. Our second European team in Group B is Spain, coached by Jorge Vilda. And I think that that's really interesting. They actually, their captain is Marta Turejan, who also plays. And I think one of the things for me about this team is that the Spain women's national football team really had a difficult time. They went through incredible amounts of difficulty, like we see in most federations, of having to come up with nothing, no support, lack of acknowledgement, even minimal equipment. And Unfortunately, the, the men's side gets, you know, their their uh, World Cup winners, but are touted with so much support despite their absolutely dismal performance in Rio. So I think this is something that is is we're going to see them up and coming. They have some very notable youth players that are coming up, and this is very very important to keep in mind. Um, as does China, their their youth teams are, are are really notable and always make the semis in in, in the under like seventeen under twenties. So that's something else that I wanted to to add. Lastly, we have Banyana Banyana, South Africa. This is South Africa's first appearance in the Women's World Cup. They are led by Janine Van Wick, who is an incredible Twitter follow. And I and they're she's just wonderful. They are coached by Desiree Ellis, who is one of the only female coaches in the continent. And they're very positive. Like, I, f- I follow them. I think they're an incredibly hype team. Their fans are wonderful, very, very supportive. And this year, and I found out from Janine Van Wick's Twitter account, is the first time the women's side has actually been given corporate sponsorship. And they were given corporate sponsorship by a petrol company. And this is this is really notable because it, it was literally the first time and there's a lot of excitement for them going to the Women's World Cup. The other thing I, I was going to say was that the joy with which they bring football to the pitch is a different level. They're very they're a very athletic team, meaning they're very strong. They're very aggressive on the ball. They tactically their formations are a bit are a bit different. They don't play a traditional style like a 442 or something like that. They really switch it up. I think one of the first times I've ever seen five on the back line was by South Africa. So I'm really interested to see how they, you know, measure up to the other teams. This is a pretty strong group in the sense of it's not the strongest in terms of rankings, but I expect to see some really interesting changes here in terms of how they're going to go forward. I don't like saying this, like, you know, what's the weakest group uh, team in the group, but I feel like at this point, South Africa, I'll phrase it this way, South Africa are the underdogs here. Now, they're also coming into this with nothing to lose. They will bring their joy. They will bring their passion. And I really hope to see Bubuzelas because I love them and I think they're great. Hopefully, one of the matches that I get to see is South Africa versus China. So I'm really excited about that. I also, I think I forgot to mention who's coaching Germany. So I'll just say that they're being coached by Bertina Voss Tecklenburg and captained by Alexandra Pop. I think that they will be really exciting to watch. I expect a lot of technical football from Germany. Now, I also expect Germany to go through and China to go through like with relative ease. So that is group B. And the last thing I'm going to say about this group is their kits are dope. <laughs> <laughs> Linz, did you want to add something to Shireen's breakdown here? 
Yeah, first of all, oh, I just learned so much. But I just, so she was talking about how South Africa has really been kind of fighting against their federation for any sort of resources. This got so extreme that after qualifying for the 2018 Women's Africa Cup of Nations, they protested because they didn't even receive the stipends that they were supposed to get uh, from the South African Football Association. And then the South African Football Association, so they decided to not send, not return their kits. So didn't return any of their uniforms. And South Africa then docked that the kit cost from their net pay. So we just got to really support these women because they're incredible. And I have one question. So Spain, so last World Cup, uh, after they didn't make it past the group stages, they all released an open letter requesting that their manager, uh, Kareda, be fired and really exposing a lot of the toxicity that had been in that program for decades, really. So Shireen or Brenda, like, have we seen improvements in the past four years? Like, are things better? I'll just feel this really quickly because there's one thing I forgot to say and I can weave it in. South Africa were also uh, runners up with, with the uh, with AFCON. They lost to Nigeria. So the thing is, is that I don't think we always see a sort of like a progressive up words movement from federations federations are pushed and they're only pushed when teams like end up in results now the fact that south africa and nigeria both were treated so poorly by their federations on a recent hot take with brenda and stephanie that i did in new york we talked i talked about this that nigeria specifically in the football federations of south africa did not pay their players despite their amazing performances and i don't i'm not going to be hopeful and say that I think there's um, like a steady upward movement in this regard. I think that the players are having to do all the work and the fans are speaking out and that's creating the shift. I don't think there's any positivity coming from federations. I have no faith in men. (laughs) But so even with Spain, though, like are things better with Spain? Spain has been, Brian, you might want to feel this too, because I know we've had a couple of conversations about Spain and their gong show that is in women's Yeah, I mean, I mean, the women that did that protest, they really did so at the detriment to their international careers. They haven't been called up. It did result, I mean, they were older, but still. They did, it did result in a change in coaching. Uh, the previous coach was there, I believe, 28 years, which would be fine if he and he had, like, had a 38% winning record. Ever. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 a long time to keep a job that you're really bad at. Oh, terrible, terrible. terrible. So, I mean, I think I think yes, things are better, but I don't think they could have really been worse. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) I'm so rosy. (laughs) All right, thank you, Shereen. Group C is an exciting group. It's got some crowd favorites: Australia, Italy, Brazil, and Jamaica. Jamaica is the first Caribbean nation to qualify for a Women's World Cup. It's really exciting. And I know that, you know, people we've had um, different members of the team, Nicole McClure, on the show. And I know that here at Burn It All Down, we're really excited for the reggae girls. Their lack of support from the Federation and CONCACAF has meant that Jamaica has been largely funded by Bob Marley's daughter. It's true. Um, lovely, <laughs> lovely as that is, it shouldn't be the case that you need, you know, a celebrity to do this. This is a national team, but we're really excited for them. It will be a challenging group for them to get out of. 
as it will be for Italy. Italy has really also kind of like France had a, a pretty sort of exponential growth in its women's league. Now, Italian women had already had some of the earliest leagues in the 1960s that were incredibly popular. And when those leagues had organized independently, they had more success. When they were integrated into FIFA and into the Italian Federation, they sort of stagnated. So it's interesting to see a kind of uptick again, particularly in Juventus. The Italian captain, Sarah Gama, uh, she's of Congolese descent and she's super cool defender. And I think she's worth watching. I'll be really interested to see how she defends versus Australia and Brazil in particular. So there's that. I, I would expect they also have a big challenge getting out of this group, but you never know, as Shireen said, like you can't count anybody out out really. Um, The two that most people think are likely to go forward, Australia and Brazil, they have an ongoing rivalry. Um, And the last Women's World Cup in Canada, Australia knocked Brazil out 1-0. And it was a really difficult and disappointing World Cup for the Brazilians and a very exciting and (laughs) promising World Cup for the Australians. So they, they're going to meet again. It should be really exciting. Australia, everyone's going to be watching Sam Kerr. I know she's a big hit here at Burn It All Down, too. The 25-year-old phenom who's already the NWSL's all-time leading scorer, plays for the Chicago Red Stars, and seems like an all-around badass good person as well. <laughs> you know, indigenous heritage, mm-hmm. right, Shereen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love her. I love Sam Kerr so much. Yeah, yeah. I love Sam. I think I'm loving Sam Kerr too. And that's not easy for me because I traditionally do not love Australian sports because they're really racist and stuff. And then we have Brazil, of course, my personal sort of fa- favorite. But in a recent hot take that Shereen and I did um, with Stephanie Young, which she mentioned before, Something that Stephanie said that really has been sort of haunting me the last few days and because I've been thinking a lot about this team is just how worried you are when you watch them play. It's just like, you know, the Federation is waiting for a reason to deny them even more resources than they already do. And actually, after the Olympics, after the fourth place finish, the Federation said they were thinking about cutting the women's program altogether. Jesus. Like, what even is that? And I mean, for a very long time, they've been the only team from the global south to be in the top echelons of women's soccer. So it is really depressing to see this happen. They have an amazing team, just have to say. Um, you know, they do not lack talent. They never lack talent. You should keep your eye on Dabinia. I mean, there's always Marta, but Dabinia always plays really well for the national team, even better than the Courage, in my opinion. Um, Tamiris is always in top shape. They could basically field 10 forwards. Like, I mean, there's just, it's ridiculous. They had 13 scorers. I believe in the qualifying in the in, in the tournament that lasts just two weeks, so um, they're always fun to watch. But I'm I'm very worried about the general state of their convening. They're headed to Portugal next week, and we'll see what they can do.
We're going to finish up the groups this week. I'm up first. I have group D. And so in this group, we're going to have England, Scotland, Argentina, and Japan. So let's start with England, who is number three in the FIFA rankings. And we have talked about how you can take that with whatever grain of salt you would like to. Brenda has explained why those rankings don't mean a whole lot. And we actually have talked about England's women's team on the show before issues they've had with racism and their coach, Phil Neville's sexism. You'll actually be hearing more about England from Shireen in the burn pile this week. So that's hint, hint. They did make a big deal run to the semifinals in 2015 at the World Cup when they had that heartbreaking own goal in minute 90 that sent Japan to the final instead of them. There were a lot of tears on the field that day, but they then beat Germany in the third place game. In the recent She Believes Cup, they beat Brazil 2-1, they beat Japan 3-0, and they tied the U.S. with two goals apiece. They won that tournament. They have star players that include Jody Taylor, who scored a hat trick in the Euro 2017, and England's opening round match against Scotland that year. Lucy Bronze, who just hoisted the Champs League trophy as a member of Lyon. She was shortlisted last year for the Ballon d'Or alongside her teammate, Fran Kirby. Steph Houghton, who has over 100 caps with the team, is, is the captain, and she's a staunch defender for Team England. So England certainly is expected, I think we can say, to move into the knockout stage. It'll be interesting. They've been playing really well. Their rival, as, we, as people like to think of them, is Scotland to the north. Ranked 20th in the FIFA rankings. This is actually going to be their debut. They are coached by a former player, Shelley Kerr, who in 2013 and 2014 coached Arsenal to two FA Women's Cup titles. So she's got pedigree for her coaching career. They also have a lot of talent and Kim Little, who plays for Arsenal and who won the NWSL's MVP and Golden Boot Awards in 2014 and the BBC Women's Footballer of the year three years ago. They also have Rachel Corsi, who plays for the NWSL's Utah Royals, and she's been on the team for Scotland for a decade and has racked over um, racked up over 100 caps. So I think Scotland probably has an outside chance to advance to the knockout stage, but it'll be a tall order because it's not just England, but also Japan, right? And so Japan have been, you know, a really important team internationally for ever. Uh, They're currently ranked seventh, and they won the Asian Football Confederation Cup in 2018. They were also, of course, the winners of the 2011 Women's World Cup and runners-up last time. They are coached by Asako Takakura, a former player on the team who was on the Japanese World Cup squad in 91 and 95. They're going to be powered by midfielder Rumi Utsugi, who also plays for the Reign FC. She's played for Japan in the last three World Cups, including the championship run in 2011. Kumi Yokoyama scored four goals in the 2018 Asian Cup, including two in the semifinal and one in the final. And they also have... Sammy Kumagai, who plays for Lyon and was on the 2011 World Cup squad, though she has yet to score a goal in a FIFA tournament. It would just be, it's like, you can't discount Japan, right? It really does, on paper, look like it'll be Japan and England that go through. But of course, we have a fourth team, and it feels weird to be the one doing this, I have to say, instead of Brenda. But here we go. So Argentina is making their first appearance at a World Cup since 2007, which is really saying something considering how much Argentina (laughs) loves soccer, uh, so they say. Here's how Brenda describes Argentina's history since 2007 in this recent very good piece that she wrote for The Equalizer. Quote, 
Beyond brief moments of support, the Argentine Football Association showed no interest in having a women's program. In 2015, the Argentines had been relegated to an to inactive by FIFA, meaning the federation had not responded to invitations to play or convene the team. In 2016, one might say the team hit rock bottom. Without a coach and having played no official FIFA matches, the team was ranked number 128. If you want to hear more about what the team has been through, please go back and listen to Brenda's interview in episode 46 with goalkeeper Gabby Garton. The shortest version is that the team had to go on strike to get even meager resources from the Federation. But they are in the World Cup this year. They beat Panama in a two-legged playoff to make it. Behind stars like Soleil Chimes, who plays at Lyon, and Estefania Bonini, who plays for the NWSL's Washington Spirit, Argentina will be an underdog. In the recent combinations, they were scoreless in all three of their games, losing to South Korea, New Zealand, and Australia. They will, though, have the immense support of one Miss Brenda Elsie, and you cannot underestimate that. So do any of you guys have thoughts on these four teams and, and who's going to get through to the knockout stage? Shereen? I love Netasheko. I think that the Japanese women's team are phenomenal. England is going to toil. I know like England are like low key, but Japan are just there. This is a, this is one of the most exciting groups in my opinion is definitely, definitely. Mm. This one is just phenomenal. So I'm really excited to see. And actually Japan and Argentina is one match that I will be attending. Fingers crossed Yay. with someone very special named Jessica Luther. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to that. And to see them in person would be to see Neta Shaco play in person is actually a dream of mine. So this is a, a big deal. Do you think Japan can make a deep run? Do you think we'll see them in the semis and finals? I do. I think Scotland's going to be impassioned and they're going to give it their all and leave everything on the pitch. But I think in practical terms, if we're going to say two are out. I would say Japan and England are going to go for it. I don't like speaking in those terms because you never know. Argentina could blow everybody out of the water. Gabby Garton, who we love and has been on the show, could have like a clean sheet all throughout. But, you know, if you talk about positioning and and and, and history, England and Japan will go forward. Yeah. Opinion. Yeah, that's, I mean, it really looks like that on paper. So it'll be interesting to see what Scotland and Argentina are able to bring to the pitch once they get to France. And, you know, Argentina has a special place in our heart because Miss Brenda Elsie does. Shireen, will you tell us about Group E? With pleasure. Thank you so much. Group E will have New Zealand, Cameroon, the Netherlands, and Canada. Canada is ranked fifth, and I'll start with them. Um, they are coached by Kenneth Heiner-Muller, and their captain is Christine Sinclair. You might have heard of her. Christine. <laughs> heard the uh, prime minister, I heard. The co-prime minister, yes. <laughs> Christine Sinclair has 181 international goals, and she is actually just three away from tying Abby Wambach, and then four from beating her for the amount of all-time goal scored of an international player. This particular Canadian squad was only named yesterday, so we're just sort of hanging on to see what's uh, what was happening for the longest time. It also features Kadisha Buchanan, who just won the Champs League with Olympique Lyonnais last week, and she was named Youth Player of the Tournament in 2015. The vets featured are Alicia Chapman, Desiree Scott, again, Christine Sinclair. Diana Matheson and Erin McLeod both are actually out with injury, so the team is very, very young. Young, as a matter of fact, like Deanna Rose is only 
17 or turning 18. You've got Jesse Fleming. And young doesn't mean they don't have international experience because Jesse Fleming's been on the scene and she's only 20. She plays at UCLA. She is actually incredibly young. Jordan Huetama just signed with Paris Saint-Germain. So she's leaving. She's 17, turning 18. And she will be leaving. She's skipping the college uh, program to go straight to play professionally in France, where she will join her teammate, Ashley Lawrence, who is there. Ashley is amazing, and I really, really want to get her on the podcast. Like, And I will hold up a sign if I need to, to do that. In my <laughs> humble opinion, Canada needs to actually finish in terms of shots. This is just a little bit of my critique of this team, is that they haven't lost a match this year in terms of pre-tournament friendlies, but their scoring hasn't been high. The highest was Mexico, 3 nothing last weekend, but that's not enough. You can't be winning 0-0 and then one nothing of Scotland, who is, this is their first birth. Uh, 0-0 Sweden, one nothing England, which was very promising considering England beat the United States, as she believes, but the numbers need to be higher in terms of finishing. That's Canada. Now, we're going to get into some juicy stuff because I was doing some investigative little bit of journalism to give you all some wrap-up of these teams. Netherlands is a team that actually really, really, really excites me. They are coached by Serena Wegman, who, if you don't know, was a former Tar Heels player. She played for UNC. So the story is Anson, yeah, Anson Dorrance saw her play at the World Cup and he basically was like, I want you to come over and play for me. So she did. She played with uh, Mia Hamm, Christine Lilly, and Carla Overbeck, and they won the NCAA championship in 1989. So that's a little bit of fun history on their coach. They feature such tremendous players as Leaky Martins, who plays for Barcelona, Vivienne uh, Medema, who plays for Arsenal, and the one and only Shanice Vandersanden, who is with Olympique Lyonnais and just hoisted the trophy. They were they are the current Euro champs. They beat out Denmark and who also they beat out Denmark for their qualification to the World Cup, meaning that even though Denmark came second at the Euros, well, they will not be at the Women's World Cup this year, which is very sad because, you know, I stand Nadia Nadim. So Netherlands, toil, 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 hustle, legit hustle, and more legit hustle. They are not a tactical team in the way that Japan might be considered, but their strategy, they are from the land of Johan Cruyff. They understand football and their game IQ is extremely high. Their want and need to anticipate where the ball is going, three plays ahead of what's happening. Their set pieces are beautifully mapped out. They're an incredible Incredibly, incredibly strong team. And, you know, I really look forward to seeing where they go. Their energy is infectious. They have really great fans as well. And they play in orange, which I can't imagine looking great on anyone, but it looks great on them. <laughs> I look terrible in orange because my face gets orange when I work out. But anyways, it's not about me. So is they, it they are. No, is it though? They're actually a very fun team. Like they're jolly. If you follow them on Instagram, they're, they're a lot of jolly. fun. They're I jolly. Love you. <laughs> and they're just a fun. Their energy is really, really good. It's a very small nation. The Netherlands and the Dutch ones are like, they're just, they're great. And they add a lot of culture and history, really interesting history and taste to, to this. So moving on to Cameroon, this is just really lovely. This, this group I love. One of my favorites is 26-year-old Gael Eganamoui, who was the 2015 African Player of the Year, Women's Player of the Year. Their squad was just named on Friday. This is Cameroon's second appearance at the Women's World. 
World Cup, they did something really spectacular. In their first appearance, they beat Ecuador 6-0 in 2015. And, you know, Gail again had a hat trick in her first match at the World Cup. She recently parted ways with FC Malaga because she played in the Women's League in Spain. And she is not signed at the moment. Iganamuit is one of many who in that beautiful West African country is very dedicated to the young girls. And she set up the Rails Foot Academy, the first, the first female soccer academy in all of West Africa was just set up this January. So when you think about the implications of development and youth players and what that means, think about that. There is no youth academy for girls in West Africa. And this team is up and running and going. Their coach is Alain de Jemfa and just incredibly positive, very, very positive. They, ha- you know, they are also often, they play against the Super Falcons of Nigeria who dominate in that continent. And they're still super positive. Again, their goal celebrations are some of my favorite. And I think that's what we like to see. They bring a lot of joy and passion and a different tactical style of play to the game. And I'm really looking forward to seeing them because they're, you know, other than, uh, again, Amuit, they have two other players that play in Europe as well, in Sweden and then in France. So it's, it's going to be just really exciting to see them. Our last one is New Zealand. Now, the football ferns of New Zealand are actually a really fascinating team. They're coached by Tom Sermani. And you're like, Tom Sermani, formerly of the Orlando Pride? Yes, that Tom Sermani, who has also coached Australia. He's coached the USA, but was fired in 2014. He coached Canada as a technical consultant, then went to Orlando and is now in New Zealand. You're like, wow, this guy gets around. Yeah, he does. Now, their captain is Ali Riley, who is U.S.-born and now plays for Chelsea. And the New Zealand football firms are the current Oceania Football Conference title holders. So they're in there. They dominate in that region. And this is their fourth appearance at the Women's World Cup. And there was a lot of, I think, drama with this team. And I'll let you know in terms of coach, coaching drama. In 2018, New Zealand had signed what was now considered a revolutionary equal pay deal with its female players. So which was really interesting. And I know we mentioned it on the show that, you know, in terms of badass women of the week, and it was because of unrest in the ranks. And then with obviously not being paid fairly, but what happened was a revolt against Andreas Heraf, who was an Austrian born and was their coach at the time due to his tactical approaches, his excessive emphasis on defensive play and his coaching methods. So then he went into a presser to explain, the reason. And he said, quote, there's a big difference in quality, unquote, between New Zealand and Japan. And that's why they would never win against a team like Japan. So if you're the coach of a team and you're saying this about a team, I don't know, not the most appropriate thing to say. Anyways, he resigned after that, after he was suspended, but put on special leave with full pay, because of course he was, he's a white man. This was followed by allegations of him bullying the players. So what ended up, and what's happening now is the coach, the coach, Coaching staff with Tom Sermani has realigned. Erin Naylor plays for Bordeaux. She's our goalkeeper. She's an outspoken, outspoken member of the team. Um, what I really love about New Zealand is that you'll see that the professional athletes give each other a lot of support. And New Zealand is one like any other team I've seen. The All Blacks, the most famous rugby team in the world, and the Black Ferns, the women's side of rugby, vocally support. Like all their players will be out rooting for, and not just at the World Cup, they root for them all the time consistently. And I think that's something when we're looking at, you know, social media and stuff, the influence that they have on encouraging young New Zealanders, like young Kiwis to support their women's teams. This is really important. So 
this is a pretty exciting group. My predictions in terms of anyone going forward, I would say Canada and the Netherlands. In terms of rankings, which we've already established on Burn It All Down, that they're super arbitrary, I just wanted to point them out. Canada is ranked fifth currently. New Zealand is 19th. Cameroon is 46th. And the Netherlands are at eight. So just to give you an idea in terms of world positioning a little bit, it doesn't necessarily say for sure or like say this is absolute. But just to give you an idea what the sort of range of those you know placements are, um, and again, looking forward to it. Lindsay, how about rounding this out for us? Group F. Woo. All right. So look, let's let's start from the top. Group F is Team USA's group. Look, I know Brenda rails against it, and I understand why. Do I get a little <laughs> uh, psycho about my patriotism during the Women's World Cup? Yes. Yes, I do. So, you know, Brenda's here to keep me in check and remind me about, you know, colonialism and everything that I need to remember that is bad. And yet I will be wearing my red, white, and blue. So there's a balance here. And I, I just have to say that I just need to put that out there. I will be rooting for Team USA during the Women's World Cup. So, you know, if 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 everyone has a problem with that, then, you know, well, Megan Rapino. That's a, that's it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to Megan Rapino. But anyways, yeah, so this is Team USA's group. Obviously, they are the favorites to make it out. Not a lot of surprises on Team USA's World Cup roster, except Allie Krieger making it on after kind of being forgotten by the national team for a while that a lot of people work in Penn State huh? alum. Hey. And also engaged to one of her Ashlyn Harris, one of her one of her teammates. So I love that we have an engaged couple on the World Cup roster. That just makes me happy. Yeah. So, you know, other than that, the recent drama that I've been hearing is, you know, Carly Lloyd is still coming off of the bench and Carly Lloyd is not happy about this. Carly Lloyd thinks that she's playing the best soccer of her career. And, you know, she was talking to reporters in New Jersey, her home state, and she was very blunt about it. She said, no, I'm I haven't talked to Jill Ellis about this. She has, you know, we haven't had a deep conversation about this. I'm not happy coming off of the bench. But it seems like, you know, I don't know that that's going to really impact or that's going to make for a lot of drama. But it's certainly something to look out for. And look, Carly Lloyd is playing really great soccer right now. So, you know, um, we'll see. And we all remember what she did last World Cup. But also this position of coming in as a super sub, as they call it, has been working out pretty well. So, you know, there's... I don't begrudge any athlete for being unhappy in a supporting role. Like athletes have egos. Athletes are supposed to have egos. (laughs) They work really hard. And I think as long as they're not literally blowing things up from the inside, then that stuff, those comments like Lloyd's don't bother me. But I understand that some people feel differently. So, you know, we can hash it out there. Anyways, let's talk about Thailand. So Thailand is also in this group. This is Thailand's second World Cup. They qualified first in 2015. They won one game in the 2015 tournament where they just barely beat the Ivory Coast. That was the worst team in the tournament, but it was still a very historic win for Thailand and really, I think, um, set them up to have a good next four years. They have only faced Thailand once, which was back in September 2016. Uh, USA beat them nine to nothing. 
And there's reasons to think that this won't be that lopsided. They finished fourth in the Asian Cup this year, which was their best finish since 1986. And they even earned a shock draw in the semifinals to Australia, which was like, I mean, that's really great. They they end up losing on penalties, but that match, that game against Australia really showed um, the, the talent that they have. And it's expected that they're probably going to finish towards the bottom of Group F, but I'm really looking forward to seeing I, what I think is improvement since their 2015 squad. You also have Sweden, who, of course... Patriots like myself remember from 2016, <laughs> the 2016 Olympics, when they beat world, the USA and knocked them out of the Olympics on penalty kicks. But it seems like people aren't incredibly worried about that happening again, um, though Sweden definitely has the best shot in this group of upsetting Team USA. I... I'm most probably excited in this group to watch Chile play. Thanks to Brenda, I have learned a lot about (laughs) Chile over the past and their talents on and off the field. This is the first time they've qualified for the World Cup. And so for the Women's World Cup. So and they are really motivated. Like there's literally headlines, which I love, which are like, they will not be content just qualifying. Like they are here to win and to fight for a spot in the knockout rounds. Yeah, which I just love. And a big part of the their story is that they made a surprise move when they formed a players union in 2016, which actually integrated with the men's union and it gained enough momentum to kind of reorganize their team after it was neglected for so many years. And that union convinced the Chilean Federation to host the Copa America, which was a big tournament. And that's where they ended up being able to qualify for the women's world cup. And of course our Brenda was on the ground covering all of this. So it's really Incredible to kind of see how they have fought for resources for their team and fought for credibility. And then they got this great gift by, uh, not gift, they earned it, but they, they earned their way to the World Cup. They showed how much investment matters. And now I think they can win it. I mean, I think they can be fighting Sweden for a spot. I mean, it's it's a it's a long shot, but I would say for that second spot in the qualification, it's between Sweden and Chile. Thank you, Lindsay. Shireen, you have any thoughts on Group F? I just agree with Lindsay. I think Chile have nothing to lose. And when you get in there with that tenacity and that passion, you never know. Uh, Sweden doesn't have Lada Schlein anymore. And I mean, I can't say that I'm super familiar. They do have a very, very solid women's league in Sweden. So the development is there. I think that I love what you said about Thailand, Lindsay, and I'm excited. to. I've never seen them play. I have saw them like their under 20 team at the Women's World Cup, like the under 20 World Cup. But I'm excited to see that. I think this is going to be a really interesting interesting group to watch in terms of fun and in terms of seeing where they go moving forward. And the U.S. side has been not inconsistent, but inconsistent. And a lot of their formations still aren't set. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do. Also want to shout out the Black women on the team. There are more women of color. This is a, a year in which 
our squad is a little bit more diverse. And this is, I'm saying more diverse in the way that we said this during the Winter Olympics, where it was still like 93% white, right? So like, you know, relative. But I do want to give them a hearty shout out. And, you know, because I think you can't be what you can't see. So every little girl, little black girl who's watching this squad will see a few people that they can look up to. And I think that that's important. That's it. Enjoy the World Cup. As always, you can keep up with us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I especially recommend Instagram for the next few weeks as Brenda, Shereen, and I will all be in France for part of the tournament and we will be sharing content there. You can find us on Instagram at burnitalldownpod. And if you will also be in France, get in touch and let us know. We'd love to meet up. Come see and hear Shireen speak at the Fair Diversity House in Paris on the evening of June 13th. We'll post more details about that as we get them. Until next time, burn on, not out. And I'll suck you up.